pray with me, please. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have disclosed yourself to us in your word. And um, we now open our, our hearts, our minds, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would um, speak to us and help us to hear. Lord, help me to communicate clearly. Um, so, here we are, Lord, in front of your word, looking to honor you, looking to be uh, your obedient children. We do pray this in your name, Lord Jesus, you who are the living word. Amen. Um, this happened to me when I was a kid. It started somewhere in my late grade school, definitely in my junior high, middle school years. And it, it may have happened to you too. Maybe I'm just the only one, but I have a, I have a guess that you um, did the same thing that I did. It's not a sin, so don't worry. But when I was younger, I fell in love. I fell in love. The first one was Hillary. She lived down at the end of my street. She had curly hair. Cute little thing. We would walk to school together, at least to the bus. Of course, I never told her that I fell in love with her. Usually what you did when you're older, grade school years, the way you showed a girl that you loved her was to slug her in the arm or, you know, pull the chair out from under her or something, something like that to say, look, I love you. I've noticed you. But, you know, with Hillary and a number of other girls that I knew through junior high and high school. Um, not only did I fall in love with them, but I fell out of love with them. In fact, I'll just be honest with you and tell you that I didn't have the foggiest idea what love was anyway. But that's the danger with, with falling in love, is that you can fall out of love. And like I said, maybe you have been there. Maybe you have walked that walk. Maybe in your mind you can even look back to those school days and remember that guy you fell in love with or that girl you fell in love with. And for some, there is the falling out of love. Now, I know some of you here fell in love with your high school sweetheart and married her. Good for you. Um, well done, but it doesn't always work. At least it didn't work for me. When it comes to Linda, at first I didn't fall in love with her, that was sure. In fact, she came to camp when she already had a boyfriend. And I had just broken up with another girl that I had fallen in love with. So I didn't want to have anything to do with women at that point in time. 
In fact, me and three or four other guys, we created a club. It was called the Bachelors to the Rapture. <laughs> we were not going to get, we, we were through with the opposite sex. We'd, we had given our hearts, and they had been broken, dashed upon the rocks of reality. So Linda was nice enough. Of course, I was nice enough. And as the Lord would have it, she broke up with her boyfriend in the middle of the summer. Being a man of my word, I left the bachelors to the rapture and um, followed after this sweet young thing. And I suppose, I'll be honest, I suppose I fell in love with her. Very thankful today that I did not fall out of love with her. But we fall in and we can fall out. And I am here to declare to you today that God has not fallen in love with you. God will not fall out of love with you. God in his perfect design, in his perfect wisdom, has chosen to love you. We know that the scriptures tell us in 1 John that God is love. It's not just what he does, it's who he is. And God loves you and has chosen that. Love is not just a feeling, but love is an act of the will that is in response to another person's need. The God of eternity has looked out over his creation and he has seen a bunch of needy people needing to be saved, needing to be rescued, needing to be loved with an unending love. And God chose to love you. And that's good news. If you don't remember anything that happened today or what I have said, Remember this, God loves you. God has given everything of himself to show forth that love for you. My desire today is to look at the steadfast love of the Lord. There is a word in uh, the Hebrew scripture Chesed, you have to get stuff in your throat to say it well. And it's translated a number of different ways. It's translated steadfast love. In some portions of, of the Old Testament, it's translated faithfulness or loyalty or a two-way obligation. But it's used to speak of God's love toward you, God's love toward me. That word um, is used at least 280, 290 times in the Old Testament scriptures. In the Psalms alone, if you just read through the Psalms, it, it shows up about, oh, 95, 98 times in the Psalms alone of God's steadfast love. 
I want to look at some portions of scripture that talk about God's steadfast love for you. The first one is, is in Exodus chapter 34. When Moses is going back up Sinai and he's bringing with him two new tablets. And he's going to meet with God. He's going to meet with Yahweh, the Lord. And it says in verse 5 of chapter 34, And the Lord, Yahweh, the I Am, descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there. And he proclaimed the name of Yahweh. Now, this is interesting. If I read this correctly, God is going to proclaim his own name. He's going to say, this is what my name is, Moses. And Yahweh passed and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, the, the I am, the I am, God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Verse 7, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What's interesting in this passage is that God not only declaring his name, but he is uh, saying, uh, it's not the letters of my name that make my name. It is my very character. It's who I am. I am gracious and loving and merciful. I am steadfast love. And I will forgive iniquity and transgressions. But I'm also holy and I'm also just. And so, unless people come right with me, I am going to deal with the guilty. Both of these are true for me. But overriding it all is God's steadfast love for you. In Psalm 145, it speaks again of his steadfast love. Verses 8 and 9. Yahweh is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding, abounding in steadfast love. Yahweh is good to all, and his mercy is over all he has made. And in Micah chapter 7, Verse 18, 19 and 20, Micah declares, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights. Not only is he 
abounding, but he delights in steadfast love. For God to love you with faithfulness and steadfastness brings joy to his heart. He just doesn't love you because he has to love you. When he sees you and pours out his love upon you, it it delights him. He is happy to do this. He will, again, have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. He will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, who's who, uh, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old, and what is Micah saying there is, God, you had made your covenant with Abraham. You have made your covenant with Jacob. You have made your covenant with David. And you are God of the covenant. I was reading this week, um, as I, was, as I was studying the passage, and one of the, one of the writers, commentators said, um, God doesn't love us because of the covenant he made. He made the covenants because he loved us. It's, if I look back at my wife here, I uh, don't love her because I married her. I married her because I love her. And that's with God. God remembers his covenants, the covenants he made, not just because he's a promise-keeping God, which he is, but he loves us. He loves you. What does the steadfast love of the Lord do for us? Just a spell it out a little bit. It, it shows grace and mercy. And I know I've said it before, but it bears repeating. Uh, grace is uh, getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And God's steadfast love shows us his mercy, shows us his grace. The scriptures have told us that uh, his steadfast love uh, speaks of his uh, long-suffering. He is slow to anger. He is patient with us. His steadfast love shows us that he is Faithful, as we have talked about. He is the covenant maker and the covenant keeper. And ultimately for that covenant for us today is the one that's made to us and for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Who opened up the door to a new covenant feeling the experience of God's love. Forgiveness. It's Back in the Exodus 34 passage, um, we, are, we are told that God's steadfast love is for thousands. In the 
psalm, it said it's for all people. It, it's for you who sit in the comfort of Bethesda Church in Huron. It's for those who don't go to church. It's for the CEO, the presidents, or the senators. God's steadfast love is for them. God's steadfast love is also for the guy downtown on Dakota who is right now sleeping in the doorway, freezing. God's steadfast love is for that person. God's steadfast love is for um, all nations, all peoples, all languages, all colors. God's steadfast love is for everyone. God's steadfast love is for the righteous. But here's good news. God's steadfast love is for the unrighteous too. God's steadfast love is for all. Now get this one. God's steadfast love has moved him to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to take our sins and bury them in the deepest part of the sea or remove them as far as the east is from the west. And he has done that first and foremost in the person of Jesus Christ, who is God who left the glories of heaven, as Paul tells us in Philippians 2, and he became like us, yet without sin, we are told. And he died for us. It's that very familiar passage in, in John chapter 3 that bears repeating that most of us can say by heart, but we often forget the rest of the passage. We, I, like we do with most scripture, we stop too short. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him, that is in Jesus, should not perish, but have everlasting life. But keep reading. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes in verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That is pretty safe to say everybody in the room. Okay? We were all ungodly. We were the ones for whom Jesus died. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might even die. Now there's a packed pack of sermons in that line, but we won't go there today. But God shows his love 
His, uh, in the New Testament, the word we look at is, a, uh, is agape, that eternal giving, self-dying, self-giving love, that God shows that perfect love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by Christ's blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now shall we, that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Note what takes place in the passage. Christ dies for you and for me, for our sins, to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness, to pay the price that was on us. Jesus pays for us. And as we put faith and trust and hope into him, we can have our sins forgiven. But notice whatever ta- what else takes place in this passage. Not only are our sins forgiven, but we are reconciled to God. You see, someone can forgive you, but still not like you. Someone can forgive the hurt that you've done to them, but still doesn't want to spend any time with you. And I, go, I suppose God could have done that. He could have said, Randall, I forgive you. As you've placed your faith in Jesus, I have forgiven you. And I'll even allow you to live in eternity, in heaven, not in hell. But even more than that, I open my arms to you. You have been reconciled to me. You are welcomed into my presence. I want to see you. I want to be with you. I want you to experience all the glories that are available to you. I want you to know how much I love you. And therein we find great good news that God not only forgives our sins in Jesus, that shows us his steadfast love, but it shows us how deep his love for us as we sang today. That he should make the wretch his treasure. That's an amen moment. And you all missed it. We are going to share in his abundance. So great is God's steadfast love for us. So, what is our responsibility? We do have some, uh, I'm not even going to say responsibility, I'm just going to say there is some response for us. When someone loves us that much, there is something we do in response. And let me just offer a couple things. 
First, our response is if someone gives us that kind of love, we need to receive that kind of love. God can love you for eternity and you can shut it off. People can love you here on this planet and for whatever reason, you just don't want to receive that love. You just know. Maybe you feel you are unlovely. So no one can really love you. So we need to receive God and receive his love. And as John writes in 1 John chapter 4, we realize that God is love. So in receiving his love, his steadfast love, you are receiving him. To abide with you. Not only do we need to receive it, we need to live in it. Jesus says in John 15, I want to abide in you and I want you to abide in me. And as I abide in the Father's love, so you too can abide in the Father's love. We need to live in the midst of it. We need to abide in it. Receive it and abide in it. And then we need to share it. A little bit later on in the 15th chapter of John, Jesus says, this is my command. Love one another. Because of the love that's been poured out to you, love one another. That's the task that Jesus gives us to do. Love one another. Not always easy, but he gives it to us to do. And as we abide in him, and he abides in us, we can love one another. In a moment, um, I'm going to pray. And then um, Brother Ted's going to come up and lead us into uh, our participation in communion. And the elders will come up and help serve in that. So as we pray, um, remember, remember those things today. That God loves you. This table is a reminder of that, a reminder of that. God loves you. Steadfast love, unending love, eternal love. And in that we find hope. In that we find peace, and in that we find joy. In that we find strength. Knowing that we are loved by God. Take that with you today. Take take God with you today. Remember, there is nowhere that God is not. One of my prayer pet peeves for people who say, God, be with Aunt Mabel in in the hospital. Brothers and sisters, he's already there. We can pray for Aunt Mabel that she'll know God is there. But he's there. He's here. Think about this. I know I'm taking communion time, but I'm not going to be here forever, and you'll get a new guy who does 15-minute sermons, and you'll all be good. Um, God is here in this room. We really believe that. We pray that. We sing that.
God is really here. And it, it should affect what we do because God is in this room. But I'm going to break that. I don't know how to break this to you gently. I'm just going to say it. He's also in the foyer. The worship we do in there is the worship we do out there. The conversations you have with the people in the foyer or the people on the street or the people at work or the people at school, just remember God is in the room. He's standing right with you. Especially when two or three are gathered in his name, he says, I am there in a special, unique way in the body of Christ, I am there. So as you're talking today, as you're mingling in the foyer, which is a great thing, Remember, God is there. It might change how you interact. Might. Don't know. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us with a steadfast love. And I admit, Almighty God, that I cannot wrap my head around that. You are who are the true God, the God of eternity, the creator, the sustainer, the sovereign one, the holy one. You love me. Wow. And Lord, to the best of my ability, to the best of our ability. We desire to love you and to love others in you and through you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for showing us the love of God. And it's in your name we pray. hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.